Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000, so Dan Van, uh, Dan Dan goes, well, I'm just going to bring up a pot of spaghetti, and you're just going to divide it up and pray over it, and we'll have spaghetti for everybody. And I said, well, I don't think I'm quite there yet. So uh, we're going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000. It's a very familiar story to, to most of us that have grown up in church, if you've heard it. Even for those that haven't grown up in church, this is a very familiar story. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels of the Bible. So instead of just reading from Matthew, so uh, I told you to open your Bibles. You're probably going to have to put them down. You might be able to follow it. But I've kind of spliced all four Gospels into one reading to get the whole picture. Because everybody, you know, you have one story. Uh, you know, all four of us could be at this mill today, and we would have four different ideas of what happened, who did what, and how it happened, and all that. So we're going to take four different perspectives and splice it together to get a big picture of what is going on. Uh, and we're dealing with all four Gospels here. And it says here in verse, uh, well, I'm going to say verse 13 just because it says 13, but again, it's spliced. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately so to a solitary town called Bethsaida. And this was right after John, the, uh, you know, the story is he just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded. His cousin, his friend, uh, the one that, that prepared the way for him, the one went before him, and he was grieving that, uh, that time. So uh, when, when he heard this happen, he withdrew by boat. Uh, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them, and he healed the sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away so they can go to surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we are in a remote place. I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat, he replied. If I send them, send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of, uh, some of them have come a long distance. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat, he tells the disciples. Jesus says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. In other words, come on, you've got to be joking here. How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Another of his disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go, go among so many? We've already talked to the boy. Those are, that's ours, our little group. 
bring them here to me, he said. And as he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. When they had had all, uh, when they'd had all, all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, leave nothing to waste. So they gathered them and filled the twelve baskets and, and with the pieces, of, uh, pieces and the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, so you can extrapolate out, you know, between 12,000 and 20,000, because with the men comes the families. Not all the men were married, but you understand what I'm saying. So about 5,000 men, besides women and children. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. It was almost time to celebrate Passover. So at this point in the gospel, we are one year away from Jesus being crucified on the cross. They're celebrating the Passover before the next big one, in a sense. And Jesus knows about this. They're about two, two and a half years into ministry, depending on what timeline you go with. And so this is the third Passover that they've had together. One more to go, and he'll be arrested, beaten, and tried, and crucified all in one weekend. And Jesus knows he's about one year out. Now, you might remember that, that Passover is a celebration of, of God's deliverance of the people when they came out of Egypt. Uh, he rescued them. He, uh, he sent a redeemer, a deliverer uh, for the people, of, for Moses. And uh, Moses went and, you know, confronted the Pharaoh. And he supernaturally sent uh, plagues into Egypt and, uh, until, you know, he let God's people go. And the, the famous statement, let my people go. After that, they crossed the Red Sea. And the Bible tells us that the first 40 Passovers that were celebrated were in the wilderness, the desert. Hmm. So later on, John remembers that when, this, uh, when he wrote his book, that, and he connects the two between the, the Passovers and, and the deserts and God's Redeemer and Jesus. And John is like, we're like in the wilderness. This is like us being in, in the wilderness, just like the Father did with them. So he includes the, the statement that this happened right before Passover. Now, last week, you might remember that Jesus is grieving the death of John the Baptist, and, uh, you know, he's around all these crowds when this happens, so, you know, he needs to get away because it's a very emotional time, and if you've ever had somebody close to you pass away, you understand. It can be an emotional thing. So he gets into the boat, and he goes to the other side of the lake. The problem is, people are watching him. There's hills all around the lake, and, and if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, it's, it's amazing because you can, you can, you know, when I read this, because I've had that chance, that privilege, I've... I can picture in my mind, oh, they were on this side of the lake, and you could see people up on the hills. You could see them running around going, okay, which, which way in the lake is he going to go? Because there's several ways he could go. Okay, oh, he's going this way, and the word passes, and they all kind of run around the lake. Really, they just kind of walk fast uh, going over there. So the crowds were waiting there when he got there. And what I love about the Lord is he doesn't react the way we would react. We would probably get irritated, wouldn't we? I just need a little time. Can I just get one day to grieve? Can you just leave me alone, people, for one stinking day? But he doesn't say, leave me alone. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. What a great visual picture. 
So he had compassion on them because he loved them, even though that he was tired and grieving. So the disciples come to him and say, you know, I mean, dude, we, we've, we've done enough today. You've been teaching all day. You've been healing all day. You've been taking care of the people. You've been ministering. It's time to send them home. They don't have any food. They have to get to town soon. I mean, they, the, the kids are driving us crazy. Have you ever been with kids all day long, you know, and the kids are just driving us nuts. We've we got to get the people out of here. Lord, I, I know you're the teacher. We're the logistics people. We're the ones that are planning on this. We've got it all figured out. The, all the great places that they can, you know, all the boots along the way that they can stop and get something to eat on the way home. We've got them pinned out on the map. We're going to hand out maps to everybody. All the falafel stands. Okay, people start gathering around. Okay, hey, make sure the Lord is going to tell these people that it's time for them to go. I mean, you can imagine, now I'm just kind of making all this up. It's not in the scripture. But you can imagine something like this going on, you know. Lord, you're going to make an announcement in a few, min- uh, a few minutes. Now, 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 people, people, let's pick up the trash. We're going to leave the place better than we found it, right? Everybody, let's give the Lord a round of applause. For all that he's done, okay, Peter, 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 is he ready to tell them to go away now? Remember, no food, go away, simple. Lord, you're you're up, Lord. Okay, A through J, you're going to go to Capernaum. You know, I could keep going on this. K through R, you're going to, okay, maybe I shouldn't. And Jesus is just standing there. And we're like, Lord, here's the problem. Here's the solution I've already mapped out. And the Lord is like, huh? We're like, here is what you need to do, and you need to do this right now. Lord, you need to send these people home. We have no food. Just do it. Okay, Lord, any time now. Okay, I'm learning patience. Any time in the next 10 minutes will work. Okay, any time. Go. Have you ever been like that with God? We're like that all the time with God. You know, the Jeopardy theme song comes on. Okay, I can't sing that well. Kim keeps trying to get me up here to sing. I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't want me up there. Okay, Lord, I think I've been patient here. I mean, you know, and I told you what I, I mean, I prayed. Here it is, Lord. And the Lord is like, they don't need to go away. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Or it's like, I've got this worked out. I've already explained it to you how, you know, and they're like, Lord, I'm hungry. I mean, the people are hungry. How do they know the people are hungry? Well, they're hungry themselves. They've been out working all, I mean, yes, Jesus is the one healing, but he has some people there to help him to, to, to deal with the people and stuff. Because, I mean, this 15,000 people, it's not like one person can do everything. The Lord is giving them, they're working in ministry along beside him. And, and the Lord's like, okay, guys, I got an idea. You give them something to eat. <laughs> Lord, we, we, we thought about that. We talked it over and... And Andrew mugged this little kid to get his fish and bread. And, and I mean, you can see the mad mom over there pointing at us right now. We need, we need to move on. You know, Jesus says, bring them to me. And this is a beautiful statement here. And if Jesus ever asks you to bring something to him, do it. No matter what he asks you to bring, just do it.
no matter how valuable it is or insignificant it is. Jesus says, bring it to me. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know how something was going to work out? I mean, you're in the middle of it and you're just sitting there going, I I have no clue. But you just stick your nose to the grindstone, which really hurts, by the way. I don't know if you've ever tried that. And you just keep working away. You just keep moving toward. You just don't know how it's going to happen because you just keep doing your job. You know, sometimes it doesn't occur to us just to turn over the entire thing to God and just say, I don't know. Here it is. I have no plans. I haven't mapped this out. I don't know how we're going to feed all these people. You deal with it because I can't. Now, we don't necessarily do it with that attitude, but sometimes we can. The Lord is gracious with us. Jesus asked, what do you got? What do you have to feed them? Just bring it over to me. You know, sometimes we feel silly going to God with what we have, right? You know, maybe God, what what do you have? We're like, this? But we don't even want to show it to him, right? Well, I only have so much. Then bring it to me, God says. But Lord, look around. There's a lot of people here. See, what the disciples forgot in the story is who was feeding the crowd? Whose job is it to feed these people? It wasn't their job to do that. It was Jesus' job. See, we're in the middle trying to do God's work, and God's like, if you would just get out of the way, I could do this. And we're like, well, I just can't do this anymore. And he goes, well, that's kind of obvious. Just give it over to me. Well, you know, I saw the problem. I'm trying to fix it. And Jesus says, well, that's part of the problem. The Lord says, give it to me. I'm going to fix the problem. And then I'm going to allow you to hand it back out and show everybody and give you part of, the, part of the, in a sense, the glory because you're here helping me with this. You're going to be part of the actual miracle here. Now, see, if you were on the edge of the crowd, if you're like, I mean, you know, not all 12,000 people can, can, like, see the conversation, whatever the conversation was that went on with them, okay? Not everybody can see that, right? So they don't see the big miracle. All they know is food's being passed out. Now, word gets passed around and so forth, but those that are on the edge, they don't necessarily see the conversation and the miracle. I mean, they're like, wow, these guys are really prepared. I can't believe they pulled it off. And all you can eat buffet. I mean, these guys were completely full. So the edge was blessed by the meal. The edge was blessed by the meal. But they didn't really know about the miracle. Who knew about the miracle? The disciples. Afterward, they picked up 12 baskets. There was more left over than what they began with. And then he does a very interesting thing. Down in verse 22 of Matthew 14, he says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead uh, of him to the other side. When he dismissed the crowd, or while he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. You see, he didn't need all those people to, to help dismiss the crowd, he could just do it himself. But he went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. 
During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and he cried out in fear. But they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come uh, to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out with his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And they climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, let's take this story apart. Because Jesus... Get off that one. That's for later. Jesus put the disciples in the boat as if they were in a hurry. Now, guys, get in the boat. Come on. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. Let's, okay, hey, P- Peter, boat in now. Let's go. Now, you guys go. I'll, t- I'll deal with the crowd. So you're almost like in a hurry. Well, John tells us the reason. Jesus perceived the crowd was ready to make him king by force because, I mean, they're having Roman oppression. They want the king on the big white horse to come in and save them from the Roman oppression. So, they're, you know, he, he senses this. He perceives this. And this was not his plan. They wanted a warrior Messiah, and he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm the lamb that will be sacrificed for you. He still had a year to go, so he had to calm this thing down. He had to shut it down. Okay, people, Elvis has left the building kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus doesn't get in the boat. He slips off to pray on the mountain. It's interesting. The closer that Jesus gets to to the time of crucifixion, uh, crucifixion, you will see him get further and further away from people. You will see him take time to, to go and pray, to take that quiet time as we like to call it, to, but just to get alone and pray more. And we need to be more like this in our own life. The kids are finally in bed, the laundry's finally done, and we sit down and do what? Watch more TV. No, we need to purposely take time to pray with the Lord. See, the closer we get with Jesus, the, the more we should emulate him. You know, there's no substituting time alone with God. There is not. One of the reasons why we remain immature Christians, <gasps> pastor didn't say that we're immature Christians, did he? I didn't say all, but I'm saying one of the reasons why we remain immature Christians is because we fail to do this with the Lord. We fail to get alone and spend some time with him. But I don't have time. I have responsibilities. Look, if Jesus, with all of his responsibilities that he had in this world, had the time, then certainly we have the time, right? We do what we want, don't we? If I want to do something, I go and do it. I mean, depending on money and all that kind of situation, but you you understand what I'm saying. If I want to go over to a friend's house, I go over to a friend's house. If I don't want to go over to a friend's house, I make up some lame excuse, right? Maybe a legitimate excuse. I mean, if you've got kids, you've got a built-in excuse. And I'd say 95% of the time, it's a legitimate excuse, but that other 5% of the time, you just blame it on the kid, right? 
We do what we want to do. Whatever we desire. If we desire not to do something, unless our boss says you have to do it, or your spouse, boss, spouse, either way, says you have to do this, You know, even if somebody tells us to do something differently, take a boss. I really would like for you to do this, and I'd like for you to do it this way. And the boss walks off. What do we try to do? We try to do it our way, don't we? As much as possible where we won't get in trouble. But if he's out of the way, well, I'll just do it my way. We're like that. It's human nature. But what I'm saying is we should allow the Holy Spirit to operate in our life so it's not our way but God's way. This is what we talked about last week, walking in the light. The more I do it God's way, the more I'm walking in the light. See, the reality is that Jesus came to build a relationship and the enemy knows that the time that we spend with God builds that relationship so he's going to do everything he can to, to distract you from that. He's going to use your kids to your job, to your spouse, to your, the television. I was going to say your television, but I guess that's what we, it's our TV, right? To our chores, to our, you know, to the garage. Man, just walk out in the garage. I got 40 projects out there. I, anything, I just walk out in the garage, it distracts me. You know what I'm saying? Anything and everything the enemy is going to use to distract you from that time that you could, could spend with God. To the point when you wake up, to the point where you go to bed, you will have no time for God, I promise you. The enemy does not want us to spend any time. He does not want us to imitate Christ. And really, Christianity, our lives, as we say, well, I'm a Christian, that is an imitation of who? Christ. Christi- you know, Christian means little Christ, literally. So if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to do this more often. We need to get alone with God. Now, how many of you would say, man, Alan, I hear you on this. I I want to improve in this area. How many would say that? So now say, I'm going to do everything I can this next week to do that, to spend a little more time with God, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's an hour and a half, you know, depending on who you are and and how your personality is, God will accept any of that. But at the same time, you're sitting there thinking, well, I hope he doesn't ask me next week if I actually did it. Why? Human nature. You know, some of us, the more we get with Jesus on a regular basis, probably eat less probably stop being as nervous you know some of us our nervous habits will will settle down the more time we spend with the lord and we're going to start discovering a peace that surpasses all understanding as a as a wonderful verse in the bible that peace that, that comes with god and unfortunately we allow everything in this world into our minds and not the things of god that could really settle us down See, one of the reasons why we move so quickly through this life is we don't have any peace, and the enemy knows that, and he keeps us very, 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 very busy, doesn't he? Man, we are so busy. We have to make it a point to slow down. California is on the forefront of this, I tell you. 
when Lisa and I go back to Texas, life just slows down. You drive through the Starbucks, and they're like, hey there. Hey, I, I, I notice you're not from, from Texas. Where are you from? And it's, you, you, it's like a 10-minute conversation. You're just like, hand me the coffee, please. Life just slows down a little bit. Man, we are the worst. And Jesus is our example. He went away and he prayed. And what happened? The disciples, they went away and got into a storm. Now, Jesus told them to go away, okay. But they certainly didn't pray in the middle of the boat when they were in the storm. Mark tells us that between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that's the fourth watch, they saw, you know, Jesus saw them straining and, and rowing against the wind. And if you've ever been in a boat, in a, you know, a small boat in the lake, you understand what we're talking about. Uh, once I took a little canoe out, and a canoe is not a one-person thing. A canoe is a two-person thing. And um, I was one person in the canoe. And uh, we, some friends were out at the lake or whatever, and the wind was picking up. It's hard to steer a boat and row especially canoe, when the wind's coming up against you. Well, it's the same kind of concept, bigger lake, bigger boat, but bigger winds. It's hard to row against the wind when it's buffeting you. In fact, Matthew, t- the, the Greek word there is buffeted by the wind. In other words, they were going the opposite direction. Now, if they would have just turned the boat around and said, forget it, we're going back to the shore, it would have been much easier But what is cool about the disciples is they've been around Jesus enough. They had faith in the direction that Jesus told them to go, so they were going there. And, and, you know, Jesus told them to go. So so for about eight hours, they were out there rowing on the lake. They'd only gone about three or four miles. These are experienced fishermen. These are experienced people that have been on the lake. They understand the lake. And they look up. And they see something coming. And they scream out, Phantasma este. It's a ghost. And here comes Jesus walking in the water. We don't know how he did this. He knows how. But we don't. Now what's interesting is for those that believe that Jesus created everything, but there's also those that believe that Jesus created everything, but he couldn't do miracles. I, I don't understand that. He could create the water, but he can't walk on the water. That doesn't make sense to me. If he can create it, certainly he can change it to be able to walk on it, right? There's many other things that Jesus did, and they're called miracles for a reason. It's something that we don't understand. Now, there may be a scientific you know, explanation of certain things, that as our technology gets better, that we start to understand certain miracles, But it still doesn't mean it's not a miracle. He completely understands those things. It's a ghost they cry out. Mark tells us that Jesus acted like he was going to go, you know, walking right past him. And I love the sense of humor there. I mean, this is really God's sense of humor. You know, I do this with Brandon all all the time. He'll be doing something, and if one of us enter the room, he immediately looks up at us because he's expecting a toy, you know, or something because he's a kid. And I'll just walk right by him like he's not even there. I'll just totally ignore him. And then once I get past him, he will say, you know, um, uh, well, we usually do this going to bed. 
I'll, I'll walk past him, and he'll be watching me, and I'll go, once I get past him, I'll go, I'm going to beat you to bed. And he just takes off running. And, and then, I'll, you know, we race and all that, and this is one reason why he has to always be first. Unfortunately, I'm teaching him that. I'm like, I'm going to beat you to bed. No, you're not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You know, and we always fight about it, and somehow he always wins. But I'm the real winner because I get into the bed quicker. Yeah, you like that, huh? Doesn't mean he actually goes to sleep, but that's a whole other story. But Jesus, it's like he's going right by them. I mean, this is a typical guy. I'm going to beat them to the other side. They, they can roll against that win. I'm going to get there first. He's like, hi, how are you doing? Okay, not really. But here's what it says in the Greek. He says to them, cheer up and be courageous. Do not fear, it is I am. The translation in NIV, it says it is I, but really the, the, the Greek words there mean it is I am. Now where else have you heard that term, I am? Moses at the bush, right? But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I or I am. Don't be afraid. This is an important statement here. It is the same name that Moses heard at the burning bush. Moses says, who shall I tell Pharaoh that has sent me? And the bush cries out, tell them I am sent you. It's a name. I call Brandon B. So he thinks his name is Brandon B. He will tell you. You ask him what his name? Brandon B. Doesn't get it. Who do you say has sent me? I am. And Moses is like, whoa, cool name. I am. So Jesus is at the side of the boat and he says, cheer up, be courageous, don't be afraid, it is I am. Now, the disciples have a decision to make. Are they going to believe their senses, which says, get away from this thing that's walking on water. I don't understand it. It's a ghost. Are they going to believe their senses? Are they going to believe what they just heard, which Jesus saying, I am? Are they going to focus on the storm and the fact that people don't walk on water? Are they going to focus on Jesus calling himself, I am? In other words, he's calling himself God. Where are they safest? You would think in the boat. Some people would say, out of the boat. Well, Peter makes up his mind fairly quickly. I'm not staying in the boat. He's like, I'm, I'm gone. If it is you, Lord, tell me to come out onto the water. And Jesus says, come. Now, to me, this is a really stupid thing to say if you think about it. If it's you, tell me to come out. Well, this could have been a ghost. It could have been a spirit. And when I say ghost, I'm talking about the spiritual world here. It could have been some other type of spirit, right? And the spirit going, yeah, come on out. Yeah, sure. Hey, we're going to get this guy to drown. This is awesome. He's one of Jesus' followers. I mean, it could have been the devil saying, sure, come on out. But Simon was in a place with his walk with the Lord that either he is so impulsive or are you so intuitive? And I can't tell which sometimes with Peter. I can't tell which sometimes with us, right? So what he's saying is this. Lord, if it's you, change me so much that I can walk on water too. 
See, Peter had fallen in the lake plenty of times, I'm sure. He was a fisherman. If you're a fisherman, eventually you fall out of your boat. We all do. Peter had sunk in that water before. Sure, he knew how to swim, but he certainly hadn't walked on it. So he climbs out of the boat, and he starts to to walk toward Jesus. But once he gets his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts going, whoa, there's a lot of wind here, there's a lot of waves here, what happens? He sinks. He just goes straight down. And if you've ever been out of a boat in waves, that's not necessarily a good thing. A little harder to swim in. He cries out to the Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him and then gives him a a new little nickname. He says, you of little faith. We used to call you the rock. You know, the Greek, actually, the the nickname, we say you of little faith, but literally he just says to him, little faith. It's almost like an Indian nickname, you know. Who are you? I'm little faith. I have a little bit of Indian in me, so I can say that joke without getting in trouble. Why did you doubt me? Now, the other disciples were probably either amazed or they were laughing at Peter, one of the two. Um, I mean, did you hear that? Little faith, you know, and Jesus is like, okay, well, I'm going to call you guys in the boat no faith because you didn't get out of the boat. So he and Peter walk back to the boat and they climb in and immediately the wind dies down and the disciples were amazed so much so that they worshipped Jesus. And everyone observed the miracle. But it's interesting. Peter participated in the miracle. Two miracles in the span of 12 hours and Peter participated in both of them. Both of these miracles went against our defeated nature where molecules, you know, didn't do what molecules are supposed to do and what scientists say that molecules do. Two miracles where time and space were very interesting when it came to matter. Of course, we know so much more about the, uh, you know, so much more today, and, but we don't know any more than Peter did when he got out of the boat. There's many things that we've explained with science, but we can't explain how a person can walk on water. We, didn't know, we don't know any more than what Peter did when he gets out of the boat and he's walking on water. And if we're willing to take that step of faith, you will either experience things that other people don't. You know, stuff like, Lord, I want to see how you operate. Have you ever kind of gone, Lord, I want to participate in your world? I mean, that's, that's a dangerous prayer. That's a dangerous one. It's a good one, but dangerous. He might say, okay, bring me those loaves and fishes. You want to you wanna get closer? You want to operate in this? Hey, just bring them over here. Or get out of that boat. Or do something else. I want you to do this. See, dr- Jesus draws out of us who we think we are. You know, only 12 men observed this miracle. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would have been, you know, I would have done a lot closer to shore. I wouldn't have dismissed the 12,000 people. I would have let them see the miracle, right? I mean, I want to glorify God. I want to, I want to get this news out to more people. And if I do this miracle around you know, 12,000 people or 20,000 people, the news gets spread a lot quicker, right? But this happened out in the middle of the lake. 12 guys. 
See, Jesus is different. He doesn't play to the audience. He wants you to see him. Now, you might remember the, the other storm that they were in. Jesus was in the boat actually with them. But this one, Jesus isn't there with them. Why? I think they're growing up a little bit. I think they're maturing a little bit where, the, where Jesus is trying to say, okay, guys, you're going to experience some things without me around because one of these days I'm not going to be here bodily. I'm going to be here in spirit, and you're going to have to figure out how to operate without, you know, without me physically being here except through the spirit. He lets them out there by themselves for a while. And when he comes back, he makes everything just fine. But John tells us that when he got in the boat, the storm ceased. And the land was right there. Now, whether they, during that time, had gotten closer to the shore or Jesus just immediately took them to shore, I don't know. But see, oftentimes, we get in the middle of these storms in our lives that are just complicated and we can't see anything. And Jesus comes along, and we cry out to them, and he calms everything down, and all of a sudden, it's like, boom, try land. Oh, we're, we're here. When we allow Jesus to get in the middle of the mix, sometimes things get solved a lot quicker. See, living with Jesus shows us one thing. Life is not planned out. We love to plan stuff out, don't we? drives us crazy when we have things planned out that doesn't work out that way. I mean, it just drives us nuts. You know, all of a sudden enough, you know, all of a sudden Jesus is there and it's enough for everyone and we didn't even know how he does it. We cry out to God. And, and you know, if you're in need, cry out to God. But unfortunately, we think like this. I'd be perfect just as soon as I get the walking on water thing down. It's always better when you throw a kid in the picture, right? I'd be perfect just as soon as I get the walking on water thing down. Well, as soon as I solve this problem in my life, man, I can get right with God. As soon as I solve this issue in my life, I can, get, you know, I can have a better relationship with God. As soon as I solve this and whatever this is, you know, finances, health, spouse relationship, relationship with kids, or a job, whether I have a job or not, as soon as I can solve these things, man, I'm, I, I can be good with God. And God is saying, no, you got it backwards. In the middle of that mess, come to me. In the middle of whatever's going on, come to me, cry out to me, because I will be there. I will be there. How many of you would say you need to cry out to God today? Yeah, a lot of hands. See, we think we're alone, don't we? We think we're the only one going through financial issues. We think we're the only one going through you know, family issues. We think we're the only ones going through whatever issues that are. But I want to encourage you to use the relationships that we're building together, the godly relationships, not to find out more information about each other, but to find out how can I pray for you? At lunch today, don't just talk about how great the, the meatballs are, and believe me, they're going to be good. Don't just talk about that, but talk about your relationship with God. Start building those godly uh, friendships. But we need to ultimately cry out to God. Because if we don't, what are we doing? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're just trudging along in life, trying to get by, right? 
you know, I, I always joke around, people go, oh, how's it going? Well, I'm, I'm making it. You know, it's kind of a, not really, it's just an easy statement to say, but most of the time, that's how we really are. How's life going? Well, <laughs> you don't have an hour. I'd love to tell you, but you, you don't have the time. But we treat each other like that, and we're just, oh, how's it going? Our life's total, total wreck. And we're like, fine. Oh, things are great. But reality is, our life's a wreck. We need to cry out to God to help fix the wreck, to bring the tow truck. It may take time to fix up that car, fix up our lives. But if we don't give God a chance, then wow. And that begins by giving each other a chance too. I'm not saying, oh, pin each one of us down and talk to us. You know, oh, you talk to me for an hour, now you go over to Kim and talk to Kim for an hour, and then you go to so-and-so and talk for an hour. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, let's get beyond the, oh, life is just great, grand, wonderful, hey, hallelujah. And let's get real with each other and get real with the Lord. And then we can help each other out. See, when God gets into the mix, things can change. Cry out to God. Well, let me pray for those that raised their hand that said, I need to cry out for God. And the worship team will come up here and we'll... Uh, we'll finish out our service with the worship team, but I want to pray for those um, that raise their hands. So why don't we all stand? Hmm. Lord, so often being human is so complicated. Our lives are just crowded with stuff. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, that we decide to take some time out with you. Lord, we cry out to you to solve the issues in our life. We know some issues you will solve instantly. Some issues may take time. Some issues you may say, well, you need to change how you're acting, Alan, or you may change what you're doing, your actions, your attitude. And then over time, with you in the mix, things get solved. But I pray, Lord, that we start to understand that when we cry out to you, you are right there. We get so afraid, so afraid of things in this world. And we scream out as a ghost when we're sitting there looking at you. I pray that you give us the, the courage to step out of the boat and step into your world and allow you to change us. Lord, I pray for this meal that we're going to take today that... Uh, as we fellowship together, that we go beyond the highs and how are you, that we take this time, this opportunity to get to know one each other, each other on, a, on a deeper level. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And when you cry out to him, may you see it shining above that you can hold on to the hope that's in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.